The Land of the Free Podcast, Episode 3. John Morris here for Liberty Classroom. Look, most of us learned politically correct U.S. history in high school, and the economics was at least as bad. But it's never too late to learn the truth. At Liberty Classroom, you can learn real U.S. history, Western civilization, and free market economics from professors you can trust. Are you short on time? No problem, because you can also learn in your car. Got questions about what you're learning? You can get them answered in the discussion forums. Plus, monthly live sessions, recommended readings, optional quizzes, and coming soon, even more courses. So there's never been a better time to join Liberty Classroom. Visit landofthefreepodcast.com slash classroom to get all the details. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. The main reason we went into Iraq at the time was we thought he had weapons of mass destruction. It turns out he didn't. If we have not gotten our troops out by the time I am president, it is the first thing I will do. I will get our troops home. We will bring an end to this war. You can take that to the bank. I'm tired of, tired of being peaceful and tired of being calm, you know? I ain't, I ain't peaceful. I ain't no protest. I'm violent. Rocks and bottles, and you can see tear gas canisters being fired. There are reports of, of gunshots also being fired. If I could have gotten 51 votes for an outright ban, I would have done it. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Land of the Free Podcast from landofthefreepodcast.com. I am your host, John Morris. I'm a former Army veteran turned anti-war activist. I'm here with Michael Phoenix, who's a former Army 95th Division Soldier of the Year turned peace activist. And we are here to discuss everything politics from a libertarian slash anarchist point of view. This is episode number three. Now, we're changing up the format a little bit from our first two episodes. We're going to really kind of go in one topic at a time now in these episodes. I just think it's going to be a little bit better format for us to really attack certain issues as opposed to attack trying to tackle three or four in each episode. So uh should move a little bit more quickly and be a little bit more focused for you. Now, if you haven't yet, you want to make sure and subscribe to the podcast. You can do that at landofthefreepodcast.com slash iTunes if you're on an Apple device or landofthefreepodcast.com slash SoundCloud if you're on an Android device or slash YouTube if you prefer YouTube. Now, today's topic, we're going to be talking about the phrase making the world safe for democracy. And I know, Mike, this was something that you were very uh, interested in talking about um, and something that's been on your mind. So when you think about this phrase, I know you have some issues with it. When you think about this phrase, what what is it that comes up for you that, that you have problems with with this? Uh, the, the initial thing that comes up is the idea that um, our form of government is the form of government that should be in place everywhere. Um, the, the idea that we're, 
we're the guardians of the free world, so to speak, and that the moral the moral basis we have in America is is the highest absolute in the world. And like to me that's that's kind of I guess the perception that I have of democracy and the United States and our tendency to be um, engaged, so to speak, in the world, uh, specifically from a militaristic point of view. Uh, the the economic point of view is is a different conversation. You know this this topic that we're talking about right now. I it's it's specifically the the military intervention that I um, look at to question what it is that we're really doing in the United States in terms of our democracy and how we want to spread freedom to the rest of the world. And to, to me, the, the um, militaristic intervention to spread democracy is a contradiction in a sense of what freedom, I guess what I, what I understand as freedom. So it's, I mean, that's, that's ultimately the, the basis or the, the broader point of view that, um, I find worth worthy of debate, especially in our world as it is now. And, you know, coming, coming up with the elections and the, the warmongering and all of that, that goes on as well as, uh, you know, the, the issues in Syria and the conversations about Iran and Libya and all of those conversations that are happening, uh, to me, the, the thing that gets missed most is how we as Americans or the United States and and largely the free world want to spread democracy as we've come to, um, implement it in the world. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point. The idea, I mean, you could ask, I think you can legitimately ask the question is the democracy that we have something that other countries would actually want. Yeah. You know, maybe a hundred years ago or 150 or 200 years ago, but I don't, you know, I don't know about today and you know, there's, there's this whole point that we were never really meant to be a democracy. You know, we're, we're really a, a constitutional Republic. Right. And, Democracy is like a, almost a euphemism for mob rule, right? Yeah. yeah. So there is the question of what would anybody actually want what we have, right? Which I think is some of what you're pointing to in terms of is this form of government, who's to say it's the best and that, you know, other other countries should automatically take it on. Right. Um. So, you know, there's there's that point, but let me let me play devil's advocate a little bit. Sure. Okay. So, let's say let's let's assume that it is. Let's assume that the the form of government that we have is something that others should emulate. You know, even if <laughs> it were the case. Um would it still be something that you know, we could s- Diving into the question of would it still be something that we should spread in the way that we do? 
Now, what a lot of people will say is, well, you know, there's a lot of really bad people out there. Right. And if America isn't leading the way and isn't out there kind of taking charge, then those bad people are going to do bad things to a lot of people. And there's going to be a lot of people hurt by the fact that we're not out there, you know, making sure that that doesn't happen. They'll bring up Saddam Hussein, they'll bring up Gaddafi, they'll bring up Assad, etc. So should we just sit back and not do anything? Of course not. I, I think that's um, the, the the idea that there's these things out there uh, that need attention in some way, shape, or form doesn't doesn't mean that uh, we have to go about it in the way that we're doing. You know, I, I, taking it to the libertarian point of view in terms of. Uh, the the non-aggression principle specifically, you know, if and and taking it to a, a private uh, person point of view, you know, if I see someone on the street uh, getting beat up, and it's clear to me that the aggressor needs to be um, taken care of or or subdued in some way, shape, or form, do I just stand there and let it happen? Or do I step in and, and stop that aggression from happening? You know, me personally, I would step in and stop the aggression from happening. But in doing so, I have to take into consideration everything else in my life. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father. I have kids. If I step in and I take, take, take on the aggression, is there the potential that I could myself uh, get harmed or killed in some way? Yes, that is a potential. Also, in the way that I step in, do I then become the aggressor in the situation and uh, step across the, you know, the, the principle of the non-aggression? So, I mean, those are, those are all valid questions. And, you know, I think what you're asking is the, the violence and the, I guess, the undermining of people's integrity however we want to define that in terms of politics or government, what are we going to do about, do about that as a society within which we all live together? You know, this, it's, it's said that this is our only planet. This is the only place we have to live and we live here together, you know, and that there's, that's true. So to me, the, the question of whether or not we do something like that's, that's answerable by, you know, checking in with yourself and saying, do you think that you yourself want to do something about this? If the answer is yes, okay, that, that's good. Then the next consideration is how do you want to step in and do something about this? And my, my critique on what's going on is specifically on the how we're stepping in and doing something about it by the way in which we simply say that you have to do this or else, and the or else involves militaristic intervention, where it's our way or essentially the highway, you know, and we we get we intervene in ways that it extend it overextends our ability to take care of the situation. We we go into debt. We have all these other things that happen that then we we need to look at, but the looking at is not really taking place. It's a continual rhetoric of 
we need to do something, we need to do something now. And that thing that we need to do is intervene militarily, you know? So, I mean, that's, that's ultimately what I'm, what I'm pointing to in all of this and the way that we spread our democracy. Yeah. So kind of following on from that, you know, that, that would be, that would be the next kind of logical question that is, okay, should we do something? And look, I would, me personally, I would question whether we should, right? Uh, as a as a nation, now I understand your point about making it personal. That, but as a nation, I would question what I would question if we even have the moral authority to to intervene, you know, in in another country's affairs, right? Like we haven't. Have we been given that mandate by them? You know, it it goes back to your analogy, right? Of if you have, if you see two people fighting with one another, you know, should you jump in? Well, you know, if the person being attacked is like yelling at you not to, then maybe you shouldn't, right? right. And if you do step in and do something, maybe you once you, you know. Once you help them stop the attacker, you don't turn around and then start telling them what they need to do and how they need to behave and what they, you know, how they need to fix themselves from there, right? And that's akin to kind of what we do when we do this. <laughs> it's, right. We, you know, oftentimes we have, we're going into countries who don't want us there. And then when we do, if we do get rid of some dictator, then we turn around to the population and then start making rules for them and telling them how they should live and set up their government and et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, it, it becomes a little difficult in that sense. But that said, let, let, let's go with a little bit further with this. So, you know, we ask the question, should we do anything? Let, let's ask the question, what should we do? Like what, as a nation, what in these instances where you have these bad people out there, what what should our response be? We all know that our kids' education is a key piece of the future of our country. And as much as possible, we need to teach them the ideas of liberty so they can carry the torch into the next generation. But having homeschooled my children, I know that finding the right curriculum and resources to teach those ideas can be incredibly difficult at least until Ron Paul launched his very own homeschooling website. Because now you can get liberty education for your kids straight from the horse's mouth. And many of the programs are free for your younger kids and priced lower than most curriculums for the older ones. So if you're fed up with the public school system and ready to give your kids a rock-solid foundation in liberty, visit ronpaulhomeschool.org to get started. My my first inclination is... Uh stated in the word diplomacy and you know there's a lot of ways to look at that and think that diplomacy will fail but the main way in which i think diplomacy uh, becomes most effective is taking into consideration the culture that we're working with you know it's if if we look at um, groups of people, 
one group doesn't necessarily live the same way that another group does. You know, they have their own customs, their own ways of doing things, you know. So to f for me, if I look at a situation and I analyze it, I have to first understand the context for which I'm going to step into a situation. If I just step in and I say, this is the way it's going to be, that that to me is not really diplomacy, you know. So for me, that's that that would be the first thing that would need to happen is to thoroughly understand the context that that that's there. From there, it's a matter of how can we make this, I guess the question that I would ask is how can we make the situation a win-win situation for both us who are stepping in and them who may not necessarily want us there in the first place, you know, and if that's, if that's truly the case that they don't want us there and they're completely, uh, their ability to run their way of life is sufficient. You know, they're not, uh, aggressing on other countries then, you know, where I think that comes into the, the conversation of do we even need to step in in the first place, you know? And I, I think, I think that's, that's really where it needs to start is do we need to step in in the first place? And if we do, then what are the ways we can step in that help this particular situation resolve itself? And maybe it's not even resolution. Maybe it's uh, increasing uh, the output of the um, the value produced by that group of people. You know, take take Iraq for example. Back in two thousand, uh, what two? I think it was when we first started talking about going in. You know, the the weapon the weapons of mass destruction was was the term, and uh, there was also talk of Saddam Hussein needs to be taken out of power because he's a bad guy and all this other kind of stuff. And then there's the whole Muslim Shiite, Shia, you know, the back and forth that's been there for thousands of years. And there's, then there's the secular people who, who want nothing to do with that in the first place. You know, to me, to enter into that situation, I don't, I don't think from an outside perspective stepping in, that we would have the answers. To me, it's about bringing, helping the group of people, whatever they are, discover for themselves what it is that they want to do for themselves. You know, and I think that's that's ultimately the 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 distinction that um, I I feel is lacking in the way that we do things. Is we step in with our ideas of what we think it should be, and have not really taking into consideration what the people there really want for themselves, you know, and, and that, that goes down to the conversation of a government is founded, is based on the individuals that form the group of people that is governed, you know? So, I mean, that, 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 that to me is, is the conversation that needs to happen. And if that conversation doesn't happen and it's covered over with, implementing our ideas of what we think it should be. I don't really think that will ever produce any kind of, um, sustainable effect in terms of creating a, a relationship that works for everyone.
Now, interestingly enough, the term make the world safe for democracy was first used by Woodrow Wilson in front of a joint session of Congress in on April 2nd, 1917. And he was seeking a declaration of war against Germany. And he said the phrase, in order that the world be made safe for democracy. And so four days later, Congress voted to declare war. Um, fairly overwhelmingly, there were six senators and 50 House members that dissented. And we ended up going into the First World War. And what what's interesting to me is that, you know, we talk about the idea of blowback. You know, you look at, again, you can argue, should we, shouldn't we, etc. But you also have to look at the actual factual consequences of what happened as a result. And we all know what happened with Germany after World War One, which is ultimately what led to World War Two. Now, does that necessarily mean that uh, we weren't in the right stepping in in, in World War One? I? I don't know, but you always have to you have to look at even if you're in the right, like what are the consequences? What what's the blowback? And even as far back as 1917, when that coin phrase was first coined. There ultimately was blowback as a result of our intervention, which led to another world war. And we're seeing the same thing today. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing our intervention, the, what it's doing, and how it's radicalizing you know, whole groups of people and leading to real blowback in our own country. You know, I, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but I remember going through a class in the military talking, we're going through, they were talking about trying to, to give us some insight into terrorism and why people commit terrorism. And it was something like before 1980, there were like a handful of events that they considered to be terrorist events. And then after, but then after 1980, it's like this huge uptick in terrorism and you can call it oh it's a correlation but <laughs> isn't it interesting that after the united states really started kind of heavily meddling in the middle east all of a sudden terrorism there's a spike in terrorism like the amount of terrorism before and after that period is it's it's insane i think they were licking they were talking specifically about suicide bombers yeah, I seem to remember. And how it basically never happened before 1980, and then the incidents of it happening afterwards are like off the charts. Yeah, and have steadily increased, especially since um, the Iraq War. Um, right. It, it's it's grown even more since then. So, yeah, I mean that that I guess that's ultimately what I'm trying to point out is those unintended consequences of our intervening all over the place. What, what are the consequences if we don't intervene? And I mean, we, we can't really know that, but at the same time, our, 
uh, our habit of of intervening we have to look at what those consequences have been and ask ourselves do we want to continue those patterns such that we're creating an environment where um you know the rhetoric i hear from people abroad is that they don't really like america per se it's not necessarily the people but the way that our government goes about stepping in and trying to be the police of the world you know but you're just blaming america for terrorism yeah i am <laughs> no it's the no it's the terrorists that are at fault not america well you know i think you also have to take take the the viewpoint of terror it's that that's an argument that i make quite often you know who who really is the terrorist um and how are you how are you defining terror to begin with and from from an i guess an objective point of view if i can say that uh ter- the experience of terror is subjective to the individual who experiences it you know so if like drones dropping on your drone bombs dropping on your head at any moment right right so like if if we're having a war on terror you know let, let's define that specifically and all the ways in which we induce terror in the world let's go ahead and stop those first and, and set the example of what we want and then if there are situations where we you know we think we really need to intervene let's before we jump in with bombs let's go ahead and have a conversation with the the country and the countries around them that uh are involved in the situation and talk about other ways to uh manage the conflict so to speak you know and like those things have happened you know diplomacy we we had a i mean iran the whole deal with iran it's been however however long since we've done anything with iran you know at at the same time what has iran the country really done to us the united states and i'm not sure that i could i could really know that you know what goes on behind the scenes and i don't really know that there's much the american people can know that what goes on behind the scenes but from directly observable evidence iran really hasn't done much to us you know they they have rhetoric of uh death to america but at the same time what are what are the instances of um iran being directly involved in things that are going on against america you know and then let's let's look at saudi arabia who we consider our ally and what they're doing in the world in terms of uh gross human rights violations and you know ask those questions why are we allies with this country and yet we've put sanctions on this other country who you know they they hold our our people but they're not killing them they're holding them they're not killing them and yet you we're this See, other country that beheading people left and right there's that and then there's this whole there's this whole other like part of this discussion which is like it hasn't worked right 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> Iraq, did that work out? No. Afghanistan? No. Libya? No. I mean, has anywhere that we've gone to do this worked? And they'll tell you, well, we didn't stay there long enough. We were we were there for 10 freaking years. How long have we been in Afghanistan? Almost 15 now? Right. Like, how long does it take? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, so uh, th- there's the moral questions, but there's also the practical, practical question right. of it hasn't worked. We have, sh- I mean, even all the way back to 1917, right? It didn't work. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking you of know, Korea and Vietnam as well. You know, it's a similar, yeah, similar type of when, strategies. When When has it ever worked? out what's the example of this worked well i mean 1917 the whole thing with germany and then you end up with nazi germany and then you go and you fight that battle again and how many people die as a result of that and then you end up in the middle of the cold war as after (laughs) after that whole thing so and then you're in the cold war for a number of years you get out of that next thing you know you're in uh, this war on terror. Like, when has this ever worked? Yeah. I'd like to see the example. So, uh, it's it, to me, it's it's a it's a really convenient excuse for constantly being at war. And that's a- you know, I don't want to get too much of my tinfoil hat on here, but. <laughs> War is very, very profitable for some people. It, yeah, and it, it is. And, you know, that's why I I talk about making sure to not just emotionally react before we jump into something, you know. And, you know, that goes that goes to private life, too. I've, I'm guilty of reacting before I, you know, should stop and think about something. You neocon. <laughs> but, you know, if if we're going to spend trillions of dollars and put thousands of people's lives at... No, not thousands. Millions of people's of lives at risk, including the, the civilians on the enemy's side. You know, those are they're, they're real people. They're real people that are dying. It's not just some... some avatar on a screen that doesn't exist in well, they're americans they don't count well yeah i mean that's that's the idea like that's why the the death count <laughs> is in american soldiers lives and how often do we see the the lives of civilians and i mean even hey they don't even bother to count them most of the time well, yeah like you, when you try to look up the counts it's like eh, it might be about this because we don't really count yeah and if you look at the sop for um determining enemy combatants in a drone strike i think it's i think it, it specified that any male that is of fighting age is considered an enemy combatant whether or right. not they ever really do anything you know yeah. like you're you're classifying males of fighting age as an enemy simply because the demographic fits your yeah. your context you know that that to me is ludicrous it's way, 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 way too convenient right. for that, for your side, I guess, yeah. is the way to say that. But 
Yeah. So, I mean, again, lots of moral, more moral questions, but also lots of practical, practical questions. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just, it hasn't worked out. The, 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 the issues in those areas are made worse and the American people suffer blowback as a result. It just, it kind of baffles me but that anybody still listens to this stuff, but it, I think it's, you know, it's easy. Fear's easy. Yeah, right. It's easy to drum up. Yeah. So, all right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Land of the Free podcast. Now, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe over on iTunes. You can subscribe at landofthefreepodcast.com slash iTunes, or if you're on Android, landofthefreepodcast.com slash SoundCloud, and as always, you can subscribe on YouTube at slash YouTube. If you like this episode, be sure to like it so that we know that you like this kind of topic. If you know somebody who would benefit from listening to this, be sure to share it. And like I mentioned, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.